Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show. I am hosting a roundtable on nonviolent communication. We have with us two leaders in the field here in New York City, Tom Bond and Rick Ulfick. Rick has been on the show a number of times, having to do with We the World and some very wonderful initiatives that he is in charge of here in New York and actually reaching worldwide. But today's subject is really looking at the nature of communication and how, why don't I put it this way, violence can tend to slip in to our patterns of speaking, to sometimes intonation, sometimes grammar and syntax in ways that we are not actually so aware of. So thanks to Marshall Rosenberg, who uh, came up with this idea on this phrase of nonviolent communication. There's an entire series, a whole understanding of how we can speak responsibly, accountably, and get our message across, sometimes messages that are not so pleasant, actually, to, to make, to communicate, yet need to be, but it can be done in a way that is not evoking upset, anger, violence on the other side of the communication, or at least we are being responsible in the way we speak. Well, we'll be unpacking this with both of our guests today in the roundtable, Tom Bond and Rick Ulfick. A little bit about Tom. He brings 27 years of human potential study and training to his work as a writer, speaker, and workshop leader. His passion and knowledge of nonviolent communication, commonly known also as NVC, we love acronyms, of course, combined to create a practical, understandable, humorous, and potentially profound approach for learning and integrating skills that help us experience more compassion and more understanding. He is described as concise, inspiring, sincere, optimistic, applying transformational and spiritual perspectives to real-life situations. Many of his students become active facilitators, trainers, and practitioners. And Rick Ulfick is the founder of We the World and the We Campaign at We.net, of course. We the World is a global coalition-building organization that annually connects and promotes thousands of socially conscious organizations and businesses to generate public awareness and action for peace, justice, sustainability, and transformation. So both of these gentlemen have been involved with the study and the practice application of nonviolent communication, and we're all going to learn a lot about it in today's show. So hold on, and we're going to all learn how to speak better, God willing, uh, by the end of today's show. So Tom, welcome to A Better World, and Rick, so good to have you both. Hello, hello. Hello, and it's great to be on the show again with you, Mitchell. Good, excellent, Rick. Great to have you again. Tom, and welcome for the first time. You and I haven't spoken in a while, and it's a pleasure. You were very kind to set me up many years ago to interview Marshall Rosenberg for A Better World TV, and here we are some time after, and uh, I'm able to have the two of you on, so I'm very glad to have you. Tom, uh, you who have been 
in this and you who have studied with Marshall for so many years and really have represented his work in the New York area for so long. Could you just give us a, a definition first of nonviolent communication and what do you think our audience should know about it the, uh, to begin with? Sure. Um, well, um, it's, it's, a, um, it's a way of thinking, actually. Uh, here comes the surprise. I'll put it right out there. I mean, in order to communicate in a certain way, it would require us to think a certain way. And so yes. uh, what Marshall did was he figured out that if we focus on certain ideas or certain areas, and even we use words for that, uh, whether we use the word needs or feelings or, um, or observation, and we do this in order to focus our attention on certain things, which is um, basically human needs. In other words, it'll, uh, what, what NBC does, it allows us to see each other, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, um, it allows us to see each other really as equals, as human beings just trying to get through it here. And um, mm -hmm. it, does, it does that by really paying attention to what it is we say. And in order to pay attention to what we say, we have to pay attention to what we think, right? And so mm -hmm. um, that's kind of how it works. And the idea behind that is that it, it's a replacement for how we communicate now or, or certainly an adaption of, of some new practices, and, um, which is that it, it helps us stay away from moralistic judgments um, and things that really disconnect us instantaneously. And so it allows us, as you were saying earlier, uh, to be able to have difficult conversations without making anybody wrong and so that we can mm -hmm. stay in connection um, and, and even be talking about tough stuff. Yes, yes, yes. So there are, like, certain distinctions, of course, Whenever we speak, it is a reflection of how we think, uh, whether it's conscious thinking or unconscious thinking or kind of uh -huh. shadow thinking, if you will, uh, where, you know, perhaps uh, more base parts of us are ruling, you know, sort of like the idea of primary process or, you know, reptilian conversation where mm -hmm. people are just very free, almost like, children who can just kind of blurt out anything, anywhere, anytime, regardless of the consequences, right? So it's my understanding and the little that I have studied, and I have studied some, thanks to you and uh, Marshall and his, his book, uh, that we're becoming responsible for how we speak and the way we even structure sentences so that we're very tuned in to the receiver of a communication. Could you talk mm -hmm. about that a bit? Uh, sure. Um, well, uh, uh, one of the most basic parts of this work is that we want to consider everybody's needs. And yes. so um, in, in order to do that, we can ask ourselves certain questions, right? Um, and another thing, uh, and see if we can tune into what is it that we want in a situation and what is it that other people want in a situation. And then, 
be able to talk about what's existing, which maybe we don't like so much, but be able to talk about it in a way that doesn't blame anybody. So, um, for example, uh, um, we call that observation, right? It's the art of observation. I could come into my son's bedroom and say, this place is a mess. Or I could come in and say, wow, I can't see the floor, and I'm getting a little nervous here. Could we talk about that? <laughs> um, yes. Or what an artful, what an artful arrangement you have of all of your underwear on the floor. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the, the other important part about this work is that it really, it's, you know, speaking of being responsible, it it asks me like, why is it that I don't want my son to put his clothes on the floor? Um, Maybe I should be putting my clothes on the floor. Hold on a minute here. So really, like, why do I want that? And so it, this work had me not saying, well, you're supposed to do it. Um, it had me wondering, why is it that we do things? And what are our needs? And so when I could think that way, what needs do I meet when I t don't put my clothes on the floor? Um, and then I could talk to my son about that. Not that you're doing something wrong, but, hey, I got a, I got a, uh, an inside tip for you here. If you want to know where your clothes are, it really helps to put them in the same place. And if you don't, if you want to do less work, also it helps to put them like in a hamper instead of having to move them twice. That's why I do it. And it was wonderful. Here we have a connection. And it could have been an argument, or I could have forced him to do it. And it was none of that. Really nice. So, in other words, if I could interpret what I'm hearing, you will frame your sentences, your communication, in a way that is using first person frequently. Uh, it's not blaming. It's not pointing the finger. It's not punitive. It's not critical. It's not moralistic. It's not judgmental. Exactly. Okay. And therefore, it's nonviolent, by the way. <laughs> it's not violent. <laughs> well, yeah. well, it's also real. I mean, let's, I don't want to be quote, sure. nice. Right? I don't want to, because nice, you know, if you're being nice, there's, I, nice people scare me. You know, I want, I, I want real people around me. So how do we be real? <laughs> and yes. how do we do it without making people wrong? Does, it, does being real mean we have to be obnoxious? It doesn't. Uh, and that's what Marshall did. He gave us a way to really express ourselves meaningfully um, without making people wrong. Right. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Tom. I really appreciate that. Rick, you have been a student and a practitioner of NVC also for some years now. What is it that first attracted you to it, and what have you been doing with it? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I was so excited uh, when I first heard about NVC and uh, one of our board members, uh, we, we the world's board members, uh, named Ina, Ina Bransom. Uh, you remember that name, Tom? Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so Ina was the one who first said, uh, said to all of us on, the, on We the World's board, Marshall is coming to New York City for the first time in 20 years. It would be fabulous if you attend his workshops because it's a unique, important experience. 
That's what she said, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I made sure that I went to uh, all of his uh, workshops when he was in New York. I think it was about four or five of them. And um, it was just incredible. And, of course, I met Tom, and uh, we did so many things together over the years. You know, the rest is history. And, and you know, Mitchell, I wanted to kind of bring up another aspect because um, uh, what Tom was talking about is the very personal interactions and the consciousness of NVC, which is really crucial uh, to, to um, you know, having that kind of non-judgmental connection between people. And I, what I want to also bring in is, is this kind of like zooming out and looking at things in, in a societal sense. And this is where it kind of connects with the work of We the World and the We campaign. So, you know, it makes me feel really happy and glad, you know, when I hear people pushing back about the culture wars. You know, we hear all of this happening in in the media, right, Um, about polarization um, that's happening in the United States and around the world. Mm -hmm. So I do hear people... Uh, many people explicitly saying that they believe that we all have much more in common than what divides us. And so that that really gives me hope and makes me feel, uh, feel like I said, glad and happy. And mm-hmm. um, I believe that nonviolent communication actually shows this in exquisite detail what we have in common. And Tom started talking about... What do you mean by about, that? Yeah. Tom started talking about the needs. So um, I believe that not only do all people have the same physical needs, and it's not just I believe. This is part of the, the idea, the framework of nonviolent communication, that mm-hmm. all people have... Not only the same physical needs like air, water, food, shelter, that kind of thing, but we also share what you could call psychological needs like love, mm-hmm. respect, meaning, Emotional. dignity, mm-hmm. right, and security. Mm-hmm. Um, this and and so interesting because envy actually right. Well, connection. Yeah. But no, actually, yeah, exactly. I mean touching. I mean touching right, exactly. as in touching infants. It helps to develop their intelligence, literally. And hugging, That's right. it keeps the rest of exactly. us alive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, part of, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's an actual physical need. And if it's yes, deprived it when, you're, when you're a child, it, there can be consequences. So, right. Um, so for me, um, this this is really incredible because NVC actually makes a list of all of these these, these needs. needs. It sounds like are, uh, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs as well, that there's some commonality here. Yeah, there, there is. It's not, it's not really the same idea, but, but um, there, there is some overlap. Um, they don't. So there are about 90 or 100 of these. You know, if you look at the list of needs, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's about 90 or 100 of them. And for me, it is a powerful statement of universal values 
that connect us all in a deeper and more fundamental way than you might think, given how often in the media, as I was saying, we hear people um, being, being characterized divided. in certain ways, labeled yes. as as being so completely different. You know, we hear things like, we have red state culture versus blue state culture. And we have the 99% versus the 1%. Men, men sure. versus women. People of Minorities, etc. Yeah. Color, gender. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it, we, and you're putting it well. It's a marketing yeah. tool. You know, and it's uh, exactly, it's a whole languaging that gets us into deeper water than into shallower, if you will. Tom, you were, thank you, Rick. That's very helpful to put our attention to the the needs portion of the uh, NVC, you know, paradigm. Tom, what were you yep. going to uh, chime in there about the distinction oh, yeah. or so between Maslow, which is so well-known, and uh, Marshall's? Well, they don't really conflict. The only thing that I would say is that Maslow didn't perhaps recognize um, the um, needs in the same way. He didn't give val and perhaps um, equal value. Um, and, I mean, it, it is true that if we are worried about our safety, we, it's very difficult for us. And, in fact, that is something that's, you know, very clear in the work of Maslow and uh, Marshall Rosenberg, and that is if we are worried for our lives, we actually don't care too much about other people's lives. And mm -hmm. so I think that's why uh, what Rick was just saying is so important, because the, the more we feel disconnected and scared, the less we are likely to reconnect. So, so we have to kind of mm -hmm. break that cycle. And yes. What, yes. what Rick was talking about is, I, I love what he said. I mean, let's, you know, we've all been taught that needs are like things we need, like you need a house or you need this. It's really not that. Uh, the way Marshall looks at it and the way I like to think about it is that needs are, well, what, I love to ask this question. What do we call somebody without needs? Needless, feckless, um, uh, not alive. I call them dead. Yeah. Um, well, I right? guess that's kind of close no to not alive. Yeah. You're not alive, actually. Um, right. And, in fact, there's a direct correlation. So we can even say, or we can even think about it this way, that we can think that needs, and particularly these things that are on this list, are the impulses of life. And yes. that's what makes them so incredibly universal. All of us humans are experiencing this set of about 100 or you know, more of these impulses of life that every one of us knows intimately. And, and we all know that each other has that same experience intimately. It's just how do we tap into it? And that's what Marshall figured out. Really cool. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you both about this, and I do uh, wholly agree. Uh, I, I don't know if I ever got through the whole hundred because I began to feel very needy and I was concerned. Uh, but it, talking about cultural contexts and the larger society sociological um, 
environment in which we live, let's just say for a moment, in the United States, there's this idea, needless to say, a morphogenetic field, I like to think about it as, into which we were all born of this idea of rugged individualism. And there is a uh, kind of a masculine association with that. Well, I don't need this, and I don't need that, and I can do everything myself. And, you know, of course, it's all a bunch of hogwash. But it was what engendered, um, you know, pioneering to the West Coast, ultimately, back then. You know, it was a certain energy that got catalyzed and constellated to move West, young man, like that and the cowboy mentality. And, of course, there are strengths to it, true. And there are also weaknesses. But So I think that in, it underscores, uh, underlies uh, some of the, um, the ethos of our culture. And so people don't like to think of themselves as, being, as having needs because that translates by not in reality, but by connotation with being needy. I, I was saying that about myself earlier, just playing right. around a little bit. But you know what I mean. So to claim and uh, to claim needs, which you were both making an utterly clear that we all have, and it's actually a sign of life. It's an impulse toward life. I wholly agree with that. Uh, at the same time, it's in a context in which having needs is like considered almost a bad thing. And Maybe that's exactly talk to that. why we're redefining yeah. it. We are absolutely saying. The old idea of needs, I mean, think of all the things that we, I, I love what you're saying here. You know, it's like, what does it mean when you have needs? It means that you're weak. Yeah. It means that you're self-centered. It means you're, Correct. you're dependent. All, you know, all these Selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, right. Like if I said, hey, I got this friend of mine. He's just so needy. Who's going to want to say, you know, is somebody going to go, Oh, great. I want to meet this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Can I meet him? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> just that we have, we've been given, you know, and we, right, we were born into, you know, all kind of like a zeitgeist in here of yes. an attitude about needs. And, and <laughs> this idea of turning them into life instead of weakness, just imagine that. Just, you know, yes. think of that. Exactly, so that magical transformation. Yeah. 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 It's life. They they are they're a way for us to wrap our head around life. And it's what I love about it is non sectarian. It's just if you're a human you qualify. We can do this. Yes, right. Right. It's not dependent on color, gender or anything. Just do you breathe and are you human? <laughs> are you yeah. human? Yes. And by right, the way, exactly. I what's very and, important and even is any human even humans who have done things that I consider just I don't need that I don't even want to think about. But yet, mm-hmm. if we can't figure out a way to connect to people who are doing yes. things that we find important, we'll just what are we going to do? We have yes. to have a path. And so that's for sure. It, it, yeah, and you know there are a lot of there's a lot of folks um, even in the military who are screaming for this work because they know mm-hmm. we can't bomb into victory anymore and so yes. the only way we're going to win <laughs> survive here is to stop wanting to kill one another and not uh-huh. have that as some kind of a good idea and yes. i think Marshall gave us a way of thinking of other ideas that will accomplish way more than bombs ever could 
Rick, I'm interested yeah. in hearing because of the work you do with uh, the We Campaign and We the World, and of course you've been on the show a number of times talking about 11 Days of Global Unity, and we always have such a wonderful array of of people who are doing fantastic things in the world. You have a larger purview of the application also of this work. I'm wondering, how do you see that showing up, let's say, in more political or diplomatic contexts? Have you seen it actually deliberately used for discussion, for conflict resolution, mediation? Oh, yes, totally. And actually... Uh, Tom has some uh, stories about that too, and when we, um, uh, w- when I used to go to Marshall's workshops, he would tell stories about how he would perform mediations in places like Rwanda, for example, where you have on one side mm-hmm. of the, the table um, people whose family members had been killed by people sitting on the other side of the table. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's an incredible situation. Um, and at the end of a couple of days of, of work, uh, they were able to have a very different kind of connection with each other than, than they had coming into it. But, of course, Marshall would always mm-hmm. be the first one to say, that it isn't just doing this work, me being there and being the mediator. It would usually take months and months before they even got to the table. I mean, even agreed to sit at a table with each other. So the real work Mm -hmm. or the the majority of the work happened before Marshall was even there. But but it still is a very powerful uh, tool, you know, framework, process, language, consciousness. You know, I'd like to bring uh, I'd like to bring up a, a possible example and hear both Tom and you, uh, you know, kind of deconstructed. Perhaps, let's say you have a couple because I, as a therapist, I do couples counseling and coaching and uh, family as well. And it's always interesting because sometimes there will be uh, a situation in which one of the parties is more tuned in to responsible language and the other not. So one is sort of browbeating the other, um, being punitive and critical and uh, insulting, and just, just not good ways of communicating at all. But it's happening rather instinctually, and... Uh, and it's just kind of flowing, kind of the way I was referring to before with children's primary process as an example. And the other one, um, through some coaching of mine and just themselves, I'm kind of painting a bit of a generic funny picture almost. It's not really funny, but uh, says, yes, I understand how you feel. You you sound you know, very disturbed by the way I you know, fill in the blank. And I'm feeling rather forlorn right now listening to uh, you at this moment, and I would love to speak with you, uh, let's even say, on a more elevated level. Yeah, I bet you would. And, you know, then let me continue. How do you deal with a situation where the difference between the parties is so, so large? Um, Tom, maybe first you'll uh, start. Yeah, I can take this 
I'm sure I've done plenty. I'm sure you encounter this a lot. Sure. Um, which, that is an old pattern that they brought with them, right? Um, exactly. And, and so uh, for me, I, uh, first of all, I want to really, really be clear. Do they really want to resolve their problems here? Or do they really, uh-huh. really want? And so if the answer is yes, then my next question is going to be okay. So then let's, let's do something different here. And one of the things is, are you willing to not speak for the other person or characterize the other person? Mm-hmm. And so if the answer is yes, okay, good, now we're moving. Because without these yeses, you know, we're referees. We're not really helping. And yes. so the next yes I'm going to ask for is, if we can figure out a way, to solve this, no matter what it is, will you accept it provided it meets your needs? So these are the three points, right, that give us mm-hmm. the ability to move in. So though that's the rules. If we're not gonna if we're not gonna play that game, then it's it's gonna be. Uh, it, yes. it, I'm sure you've seen it. What happens is it becomes quite chaotic, and sure. so. So that's your that's your leverage, and it's your way of eliciting a level of interest and commitment, especially from them, that they're yeah. willing to abide by certain rules, and um, uh, provided, as Agreement. you said, uh, that it meets their needs according yeah. to the list of needs. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and now and the other part for me is um, in, in in any given moment usually one of the two parties needs more empathy than the other. They need some help in expressing what's alive in them and maybe even figuring out what it is. And so that's what I do as a mediator. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the person who's in the most pain, and I'm going to say, try to figure out, okay, let's figure out what's going on, and not what your judgments are. What, what are your needs? Is it that you want more trust? Is it that you want more harmony? Is it that you want more partnership? Let's really sit down and figure out what are the things that we want, not what do we want people to do, not, what, you know, not what's wrong with them. What do we want mm-hmm. in our lives? And so it's mm-hmm. this kind of resetting and saying, okay, let's, let, it, let us put the things on the table that we would love to have in our lives. And often people are like, oh, oh, that's just like me. (laughs) I love those things too. And so we start seeing each other on this universal level that Rick referred to later, which I thoroughly believe that if any any human being on this planet, if you're a human, we have a lot in common, a lot. And we're not, we're not, it's hard for us to see it. Often, and when we're in pain, it's really hard to see it. And so yes. that's where this work comes in, right? It gives us a yeah. path to start understanding ourselves as yeah. just like me, right? just like you, <laughs> sure. all just like one another. Sure. sure. Yeah, and then you're and starting then to sound so much like me. I don't understand. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the difference between us? <laughs> right. Is there right. one? <laughs> Well, yeah, you have the name Tom, and I have the name Mitchell, and you have the name Rick. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
No, I appreciate so, that. So, I appreciate so the, that. Rick. Yes. Yeah, the the, the final um, stage of such a mediation would be when you have, let's say, party A and party B, right? So party A is able to articulate their own needs that have been brought up in all of this, and they can also articulate party B's needs and feelings, of course, the whole package of feelings and needs. And then party B can do the same thing with themselves, their own feelings and needs, and uh, party A's feelings and needs. And then what happens is we call that being in a state of connection. And when that happens, then the, the, both parties are in a position to actually co-create a new strategy that could actually meet both of their needs. Because and we've given them new information they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Their own mm-hmm. each other's. And even and a method first. of using language that, you know, that simply cultivates being yeah. responsible in speaking, yeah. correct? Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I get from having read Marshall's work and not having really been crazy. a formal practitioner, but reading, yeah. yes. That he figured out, if we use these words, we can develop a consciousness eventually. That these words corral, so to speak, our thinking process. And it, it's, it's a guide as well. And if we, you know, if we really are striving for connection, we can follow these words. But ultimately, it's the thoughts, right, that we... In other words, if I just say, oh, well, I feel... You know, I come home and my, my, you know, the sink's full of dishes. We all have dish problems in the world. So I come home and, you know, I could say, oh, well, I'm feeling anxious when I observe that the dishes are piled to the bottom of the cabinet. And I really value order. <laughs> so clean up the dishes! Please? You know, is that NVC? Is that nonviolent communication? No, it's, yes. it's the same old communication hidden inside the right words. Yes. And so very important point. So how do you take that? Because there's an emotion, of course, that has that anger underneath it, right? So how do you work with that emotion that's strong? There's a lot of emotional charge there. Sure. How do you um, neutralize that so that the communication comes out without, without eliciting yeah. another emotional reaction? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I am going to take responsibility for it. And one of the things that I learned in this work is that anger is this combination of three things. One is that I have an unmet need. Always I have an unmet need. The other thing, which is what makes it anger, is that I have a judgment about it. I have a should, shouldn't thought. I think somebody should or shouldn't be doing something, and, or something's right or something's wrong, and, and that's what adds the agitation. And then the third aspect of this is that I'm probably going to do something that will guarantee that my need will not be met. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when, when I'm angry, I, I know 
that I have a, an unmet need and a should, shouldn't thought, and I want to pay attention to that. Because the should, shouldn't thought is actually going to help me figure out what it is that I need. Like if I think somebody's being lazy, let's say, what might I need? And I can ask myself this. Instead of saying, hey, you're being lazy, I can say, huh, I'm thinking they're lazy. What is that? I'm getting agitated. I'm getting angry. And then I could say, well, I'm, I guess I think they should be doing something, but what is it that I really want? I want more partnership. I want more mutuality. And so when I do this, right, uh, I can now have a conversation. I'm not saying we can do this instantly, but here's the process, right? I can notice I'm angry, figure out what that need is underneath, and change the conversation to not who's wrong, but to what it, would I love in this in this relationship. So now instead of saying, you know what, you're being really lazy, I can say, I would, could we talk? Are you interested in talking about how we could have more, more collaboration and maybe more even mutuality. more mutuality? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that is yeah. a very different conversation than lazy. Very different, exactly. So when you both work with people, uh, are you teaching them kind of step by step to because there is like I was saying there is a an emotional charge whether it's in the direction of anger or it could uh, be mm -hmm. more than anger it could be super anger like rage it could be oh, yeah. uh, even feelings of disappointment have a lot of charge you know um, anyway on it goes you know there's a whole list of yeah. different you know flavors if you will of emotion tones uh do you then teach people to have that moment of reflection wherein they will take a look and say this sounds like there's a need unmet in me before i open my mouth again let me take a look at that and then seek sure, to engage my friend cool, or right? my partner or yeah. whoever that's wonderful sure. that's perfect practicing you know um but the the before we can do that um, we have we can borrow like uh, as a trainer or as a mediator we can loan consciousness Marshall was very good at that in other words mm. somebody's getting angry yes all I have to do is say wow I'm, I'm, I'm I can really hear that I mean that's just got to be really frustrating I'm, I, I can only imagine you're really yes. frustrated yeah I'm empathizing really as you were saying before yeah yeah, and then say, yeah, and and I'm, 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 you know, and yeah, I've been frustrated for years. Yeah, so I'm, you know, and and so it's not just that it's frustrating; it just seems that it has no end. You're exhausted from this. Yes, exactly. And so we just help that person get in touch with themselves, really, and then yes. we'll turn to the other person and help them. And so I'm literally just simply giving two people empathy in front of one another. Yes. And when I do that, uh, it's, well, it, it can be pretty magical. I've gone True. many times from people not being able to make eye contact. And what I love working, I love working in child custody because it's just so important. Um, but I've had couples go from no eye contact, could barely make eye contact, to mm -hmm. with enough empathy. They can start to look at one another, and then they can start to name their own needs. And then, as Rick was saying earlier, they can actually start to name and even connect to and relate to the needs that, they're, that, that the other person has. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Rick, in the scenario and, and that Mitchell, I painted, I was, how would you respond? Yeah. Well, Sorry? I was also um, thinking about what uh, uh, what you both were talking about with uh, where one person, and, and like Tom was saying, you know, people can notice uh, if, in their lives if they're angry at something, then what's going on? They can just see the, that that flag coming up, right? That that um, that ha- has those characteristics, right? An unmet need and a judgment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what I have found, uh, like doing some of the the workshops, the uh, 10-week workshops that the uh, New York Center for Nonviolent Communication uh, offers, uh, called practice groups, uh, what I uh, remember uh, seeing sometimes in those situations is that a person let's say they had a blow up with someone, they were angry and they screamed at them or whatever. Then a few days later, they started thinking about these things, you know, and they, they put two and two together after the fact, right? So what we would encourage people to do is kind of become aware of that, that those flags coming up earlier and earlier. Okay. So, then maybe the next time it was it would be like an hour after the blow up then they they say oh my god that's that's what happened i i was angry i had an unmet need and a judgment um and then you know then it becomes as they get more aware and more practice then they realize it just as it's happening right just at that moment and then they can kind of recover and maybe say something to the other person about their realization. And then uh, it could be before, uh, you know, a person knows that they're going to be meeting with someone and there, there is a possibility that there could be a conflict that comes up. So even before it happens, then they have mm-hmm. in this mind, okay, let's see. Preventative what... medicine, as it were. Exactly. Yeah. So you just like roll it back until it, it becomes uh, prevention instead of after the, after the fact, mm-hmm. after the fact re- regret. Yeah. Yeah. And for those so who are not superhuman, um, we actually learn <laughs> to not say anything. Like, you know, Rick was talking about that hour. One of the things we train really early on is to, like, what do you say when you're angry? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and we learn that, but the thing is, you know, Remember, you know how we were all told, well, when you're angry, count to 10. Um, but no, so mm-hmm. I just got angry 10 seconds later. What, what now what I can do is uh, I'm like, if I take that 10, I have something to do during that 10 seconds. I can ask myself, what is that? What is driving me nuts? And yes. I, those, those are my little keywords. I say, what is that? Sure. Um, Sure, sure. And then that. I, I'm going to just add this to that, if I may. Uh, you know, as a kind of long time therapist, I make a clear distinction for people with their emotions. And anger seems so close to the chest, no pun intended. You know, it it's so um, virulent, if you will, uh, that I make a distinction for folks that they are feeling the anger. They are not angry. 
And yeah, that yeah. creates a little bit of distance because otherwise, if you think about it, I am angry. I mean, that's sort of like a, a definition of self. Well, nobody wants to define themselves as angry. Right, exactly. But if you say, you know, I feel anger and I recognize that feelings come and go, sometimes in a moment. They wash over us all like waves in an ocean. And, oh, my God, you know, I'm thinking back of what you were saying before, of detecting it early, early detection, so to speak. You know, oh, my God, here it comes. So there is this objectification of the emotion. Now, there's only so far that we humans can go with that. But even a little bit can be useful. You know, I think well, you Mitch, both agree. Right. Chime in. Um, Please. The, um, the, if you're speaking of early detection, what we can do is perhaps, you know how people buy, you know, like a little baby, baby tiger, and then one day they come home and it ate their couch and their dog, right? So <laughs> what we can do with our, our feelings can be very similar, uh, that, you know, we can, might be able to notice them. Uh, or the fact is, the, the earlier we can notice, I mean, that's part of the work. You know, we were talking about needs before um, yes. and our attitude toward that. Well, our attitude towards feelings isn't exactly um, a connected one. And so feelings have a bad reputation, too. And so mm-hmm. what, what Marshall taught us is, well, wow, we have, we have radar. I mean, if you think of feelings as just radar, um, mm-hmm. it's incredibly helpful. Yes, and nice. The yep. more I listen, the more I hear. It, it, and that's been a big change for me. I call it my feeling feelings muscle. Um, mm-hmm. It will actually increase. Um, and so what will happen is I can notice feelings that I almost couldn't notice before, like little, little annoyance, or sometimes feelings that have been there for years. Um, yes. And yes. So it, it's very powerful. Uh, part of the work as well. So I just very much. To... I understand that. I understand that. Well, this is beautiful work. I mean, I feel it's um, so speaking to a world of violence that we find ourselves in. And uh, I believe myself, you know, wholly unnecessarily, frankly, odd as that may seem in a violent world. But indeed, I I think it's a um, a secondary way of being that is, well, I feel that what Marshall has offered us as well has have others, um, a way through, uh, a point of leverage for really facilitating healthy communication between people um, by ownership of language and speaking in a way that's creative and constructive instead of uh, sort of automatic and unconscious and oftentimes destructive. Uh, I'd love to hear, before we close, I'm um, enjoying this so much, uh, a story or two from each of you of your seeing nonviolent communication. You gave us an example a bit, Tom, of uh, being in a child custody context. Are there any sort of real-world stories that you might share with our audience that would be illustrative for us to know? Um, I, I, for Rick or for, for me, Tom? Yeah. Well, both of you, actually. Yeah. Each of you. Well, I, I, could, I could go. 
Earth. I mean, <laughs> this is kind of uh, a little bit personal, but but beautiful. Um, oh, sure. I, um, oh. as it turns out, I met the love of my life in <laughs> the <laughs> in during the uh, workshop that Tom Tom and I were uh, co-facilitating. Uh, oh. uh, it was a, a, a nonviolent communication nine nine week workshop, and I was assisting Tom, and um, and I met uh, one of the the students there, um, and it 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 turned out that the experience of going through the the workshop together has become like a foundation, like a base uh, from mm. which we realize uh, that we can actually get through conflicts that inevitably arise as they do with every couple. And Mm -hmm. we are able to utilize some of the processes that uh, NVC provides. And we're, we're very clear and we, we go through it. We, we talk about our feelings and our needs and, and what the strategies are that aren't working for, for whatever the situation is, and it, it really makes a big difference in our lives. And it's, mm. uh, I'm happy to say, we're going on to our, I think it's our ninth year of wow. being together. Wow, that is beautiful. Isn't that something? That, yeah, uh, yeah, happy. beautiful. That is a real <laughs> living example of what I was asking for. <laughs> I love it, yeah. <laughs> you go. That's great. Thank you, thank you. Tom, is there anything that may be personal or otherwise? It's okay. It's just it's nice my, to have living examples. Parents, do I talk about my kids? Do I talk about organizations? Do I talk about mediation? You know, I'm, let's see, I'm all over the place. You got a favorite category? Um, well, <laughs> you know, that was a very personal one that Rick shared, which is beautiful. Um, how about on an organizational level? What okay. have you seen show um, up there? Um, yes. Um, I uh, took on a mediation, uh, I guess it was about uh, seven years ago, something like that, somewhere in there, um, which nobody seemed to want to take on. And the problem was there were 21 parties. (laughs) And so um, basically there was a pretty large... That's a lot of needs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 21 times 100. a pretty well-known church, which will remain unknown right now. Um, Yes. And... They had um, they had a lot of real estate, and they were trying to figure out what to do with it, and they were just completely at odds. And so, I I agreed to do a mediation, and it was um, 21 different people came with 21 business plans in their hands, and I um, so the first oh, thing we did was we had a, a little ceremony where we decided that we were not going to even think about the business plans. And so we had a, not a real burning of the business plans, but something like that. <laughs> um, and then um, what I did for three days after that was uh, basically taught them how to see their own feelings and needs and then see other people's feelings and needs. And then we started this process of, kind of moving away from what do I want to do, you know, everybody had this wonderful business plan, to what is it that I love? 
what is it that uh, what what is it that's underneath what I want to do, and to be able to articulate that. And we kept going until every single person could look at every other person in that room and articulate. It was a quite a memory job, right? Um, yeah. They were able to do it because it became personal. It wasn't just I mm-hmm. have to memorize these five words with this person. I actually started to understand where they were coming from yes. on a deep level. And mostly yes. everybody wanted the same thing. They just had different ideas about how to do yes. it. And they ultimately realized that the real problem was their ability to work together and communicate and act as, as a unit. And that's what came out of it, um, a decision to 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 take it you know take it all the way down to the roots again and then start mm-hmm. again and it worked beautifully I might add um, how long did it take uh, to act to execute the plan took two years but um, the the mediation but to go helped. through the process that you led them through of three days becoming so familiar three days. Okay. Three days. Okay. And we went into yeah. it was it was really a riot because we went into, I mean here we are we had basically right 24 hours so at at 23 and a half hours that's when we decided to go into strategy mode. Only oh. then. And that's when they decided that that's be, because in other words it was what Rick was talking about before when everybody can see everybody's needs, then then we can start thinking about what we want to do. Right when we know what the mm-hmm. needs are, but but what was interesting mm-hmm. is the strategies weren't about turning, you know, a camp into an RV park or a church into this or that or you know some other thing. Mm-hmm. What they realized was, and for me this was the beautiful part. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with them being able to work together. And so the unmet need was actually collaboration and trust. Mm-hmm. And so those are, and you know, if they never made it to the table, those needs, which they don't, when we talk about strategies, often, um, mm-hmm. you didn't, we, you wouldn't have had that opportunity. Which is much more of a mental execution yeah. thing rather than a feeling need exactly. thing. And yeah. and it's sure. terribly personal by comparison, right? So yeah, uh, yeah, it, sure. It, yeah, brought them in, and then it, it took about two years for them to sort out work. To, you know, to learn to work together, and then sort out what to do with all their real estate. Actually, wow, great! So, so they sold off the Vatican too? No, I'm kidding you. They're <laughs> <laughs> renting it. Airbnb now. Didn't you hear? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I appreciate the work that the two of you are doing very much, very much. Uh, on so many levels, yeah. I just for for fun's sake, I'll just share with you that I I run workshops. I've uh, been doing for many years on uh, bringing together qigong, this ancient Chinese um, meditative exercise, which moves the energy through the body, so feelings don't get stuck anywhere, but get a sense of flow through the body and connected to earth and what we refer to as above heaven and therapeutic theater which is a name that i came up with after studying something called psychodrama way early in my professional life and i just never liked that name and uh changed it into something that i was much more fond of i love theater and i actually found that i loved the kind of the therapeutic quality and gift of it um and uh so 
a lot of that involves role-playing and standing in someone else's shoes and reversing roles and repeating what the last person said. And before you know it, you get windows opening and doors opening internally and people are, you know, just embracing because they go, oh, that's what you meant. Oh, my God, I really get it. And it's just so much fun. And the Qigong sort of is the engine that starts the movement inside and um, actually neutralizes some of the anger that uh, people are carrying around and uh, makes the situation, the context, very workable and more pliable, if you will. And I like to emphasize neuroplasticity and some of the other fun discoveries that we have these days in neuroscience that gives people again leverage over themselves so they feel that they really are in control and they feel empowered to be able to shift positions without thinking it's the end of the world you know and it creates that kind of space and uh, anyway I just wanted to share those little bits with you because I thought both of you that you'd appreciate that um, quality of enhancing communication and empathy between people. So Definitely. that puts me in a position Definitely. of just even more deeply appreciating the work of Marshall Rosenberg and what the two of you are doing. Tom, yeah, yeah. interesting, huh? So, um, uh, you know, Mitchell, there, there are a couple of interesting things coming up. Uh, do you want... I know, I was just about to ask you and Tom. Tom, you have a, a compassion workshop coming up and and the compassion Rick, course. you are yeah, why don't Tom, why don't we start with you and then we'll yep. say, why don't you share details so how people can learn about the course you're teaching and uh get in touch with you if they'd like. And then Rick, yeah. please do same. Okay. So there's two things. Well we have as Rick referred uh, to earlier, we have actually an open source practice group curriculum that people can use anywhere in the world. Um, also, if people want to try getting What does that mean? Anybody can kind of join in and in the NBC groups that it. take place in New York? or Well, if you want to form your own group, this will give you the curriculum. Now, we also... Oh, okay. Got it. Right. We also have facilitators in in New York, but we have some. We, we've got folks kind of all around the world, actually. Yes. Um, yes. We have practice groups in Austria. Uh, we've got them in Egypt, uh, in Detroit, uh, Florida, and New York. Um, yes. So uh, that's one thing. But the the I think the 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 thing that I'm it's been the life changer for me really is. Um, called the Compassion Course, or it was or the Compassion Course Online. And I started that, we're going into our eighth year now. Um, I started it because I was, you know, I had just gone through a big process of learning nonviolent communication, and it was pretty darn expensive. And so what I wanted to do is just make it more uh, accessible to people. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. dedicated a year of my life to writing this course, a one-year course, um, that would, it was like 52 installments of a concept, a, um, a story that would uh, illustrate that concept. So it shows, you know, it really works in real life. And then practices that we can do to develop that skill, 
right, or that concept in our lives. And so 52 of those every week, you know, 52 for a year. And we started out with 550 folks uh, in the course. And this year we have 6,000, and we're projected for close to 8,000. Since we started, it's been translated into four languages now. Um, Next year it will be six languages. Mm -hmm. And we're in 110 countries. Oh, God, Tom. God bless. Beautiful. How will people, uh, if they're interested, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, If you just actually Google or just type CompassionCourse.org. But if you just Google Compassion Course, it's right there. Um, And uh, my organization in New York, we're we're uh, NYCNVC.org. but again, if you okay. just Google Nonviolent Communication New York, all that stuff shows up. And um, Great. Yeah, and Thank also you. if you Google my name, T H O M B O N D, that will yes. also all Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So the course Thank is you the so registration much for that. Is open. Yep. It closes in a couple of weeks, and then away we go uh, for the year. Okay. And so we close okay. one year. We're, we're closing down 17, 18, and we're going to start 18, 19. Uh, at, okay. uh, on the 20th, actually, is of this month. Okay, of June. Oh, so this is timely. This is timely. It is. Actually. Wonderful. Yes. And, Rick, uh, you have an event that uh, I am helping yeah. to promote also coming up with some of our favorite uh, friends and colleagues. Why don't you tell sure. us? Sure. And I just want to also mention that We the World is supporting and promoting the Compassion Course that Tom Mm -hmm. was just talking about. And it really is wonderful. Uh, Tom didn't mention, but every month they also have a gathering, an online gathering, um, so people can actually interact a bit and ask questions. Right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and we have a Facebook page and we have another, a Bolton, you know, an an e-board that's not Facebook for those, People don't like that. Um, yeah. So yeah. In other words, yes. it's a twenty-four-seven community, really, for a year. Um, if yes. you want it to be, and if you don't want you it don't. to be, it can be a very private. I mean, ultimately, we all learn this one at a time. It's a very personal yes. thing, and so that's mm-hmm. kind of the nature of the course. It's just kind of the two of us. <laughs> <We're doing laughs> yeah. Right. Right. All two of us with a thousand next to us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Rick, please so, yeah. uh, tell us about Jude Caravan and the group, right. the and event. All of, all of that. And and so just um, one last thing on, on the Compassion Course. It's starting on June 20th. And two yes. days before that, two days before that, we're doing a special event that was actually not my idea for the event. It was our friend Jude Caravan, and we'll mm-hmm. uh, talk about her in a minute. But she has become very interested in nonviolent communication. And so we we decided to put together an event that actually speaks to her work and how nonviolent communication is kind of uh, an application, in a sense, of the work of unity consciousness that she is doing. You know, so... Mm-hmm. You know, all the uh, universal 
values that we were talking about, all these needs that sure. we all share. Jude has been on the show, both radio and TV, so my audience yes. does also, know Also, your audience knows her. Familiar. So, yeah. yeah, so it's Jude Caravan. She's a former physicist, and she is... Cosmologist. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, she created... Uh, she wrote the book, um, The Cosmic Hologram, and um, she's her whole thing is the whole world view. So we're doing yes. an event called the Emergent Whole World View and the Power of Nonviolent Communication. And uh, so she and I are like the main speakers, but there are other uh, featured speakers as well. Uh, that's uh, Kurt Johnson, doc- Dr. Kurt Johnson, um, mm-hmm. Kristen uh, Hoffman, who's a, a performer, so she's going to be singing uh, some beautiful songs. She's an amazing singer. Um, Gil Agnew works with Jude Caravan, and then Robert Levine. And this is taking place in New York City at the Integral Yoga Institute on uh, 227 West 13th Street, and it's the evening of Monday, June 18th, starting at 7 p.m. And uh, I guess if you want more info info about that uh, and about the Compassion Course, uh, you can go to we.net. So it's, it's a very exciting. It's so uh, hard to remember. Great, Rick. Thank you <laughs> both for being on today. And uh, with this wonderful roundtable, I think people are feeling nonviolent already. I do. I can kind of <laughs> feel it through the airwaves. So. <laughs> it's been successful and effective. Thank you both for the good work that you're doing, and I'm glad to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Great. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 So you, as offered a roundtable on nonviolent communication, and you got a uh, a real kind of sense of the contours of it. Uh, It's obviously a large subject. I mean, if Tom is teaching a year course, and both of them have been studying for a long time, and uh, I'm familiar, I actually, through Tom, interviewed Marshall Rosenberg, who uh, passed some time ago, I interviewed him back in 2004, actually, for A Better World TV, and it was a very special moment because I had a chance to spend the the day with him in the one of the classes and get a feel for it. And I had been familiar with it, but there's nothing like getting it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, and uh, that was really uh, a blessing. And also to have these two... Uh, be so active in this community and running this community, really, in the New York area. So that, too, remains an ongoing blessing for us all to learn. I mean, becoming observant of the way we speak, the patterns we use, the attitudes with which we speak, the tonality, the emotion behind, all of that really, uh, in many ways, it really kind of determines the quality of our lives because our relationships with ourselves, of course, and with others, um, and with the 
uh, universe itself, all are really the things that increase the value and beauty and preciousness of our lives. It's all happening in the space of relationship. And speaking is something so intimate. And when we are responsible in our speaking, and as Tom well put it, that means also our thinking, then we are becoming enlivened on another level. We're becoming elevated on another level. And, uh, well, there's uh, no price to pay for that because that has to do with the very exquisiteness and sacredness of our lives. So I'm very grateful for both of them for being on the show today and contributing their respective experience and understanding to us. So I want to let you all know that I will be teaching up in the Catskills this coming weekend at the Shivananda Yoga Ranch, a very beautiful place perched up on a mountain in the Catskills. And I'll be teaching what I was just talking about, Qigong and Therapeutic Theater, to the public at large that show up there, as well as to the new and budding yoga teachers that are finishing the TTC course there. So that's very exciting. And everyone is welcome. Just go get in touch with the Shivananda Yoga Center in the Catskills in Woodburn. And uh, you can just Google that. And I'll be teaching again at Shivananda on, in the Bahamas on Paradise Island the weekend of July 6th through 8th. So truly another beautiful place to experience this kind of work. And nonviolent communication is sort of is threaded through uh, the work I do. So I truly invite you all to join me there as well. And uh, there's always the other week, every other week salon here in New York City, the uh, Tao of Relationship, I call it, a better, better world, heaven on earth salon. And that's always fun. And all of that information is always on the website, www.abetterworld.tv. If you are interested in any of that, or you want to simply communicate directly with me, which I so appreciate you are doing, go to mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. If you want um, counseling and coaching services, biofeedback, uh, lectures, workshops uh, in your area, go to abetterworld.tv and mitchellrabin.com but mainly write to me at that address mjr at abetterworld.net We are a 501c3 so we always appreciate your participation with donations, contributions investment really in creating a better world and keeping us surviving, sustaining and thriving on the air so remember, you can also watch our TV show online if you are anywhere in the world when it airs on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that is New York time, uh, by clicking on the upper right-hand corner where it says click to watch and then click again when you get in. 
So thank you again. I want to thank Tom Bond and Rick Ulfick for being guests on the show today. And this is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.